Hello again, listeners. It's Paula, the book-loving librarian from Libraries NI. I have here with me Kirsty from Brownlow. Hello. Kirsty's not feeling too well, as we've just heard. She's got quite quite a quiet voice today. Thank you very much I for joining us. I will try my best. <laughs> and Michael from Randallstown. Hi, everybody. As you know, we three are shadowing the BBC 100 novels that shaped our world. This time in March, the theme was adventure. And we got together and are now giving you our verdict on the book we had to read from the lucky tin. I don't normally go first, but I'm going to go first this time, if that's okay with Kirsty and Michael. Paul Rank, go on ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I thought The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. I didn't actually know what The Big Sleep was when I got this book, apart from the fact there was a gun on the front of it, so I know it had something to do with gangsters. But The Big Sleep is gangster speak for death. General Sternwood and Philip Marlowe are the two main characters. General Sternwood is quite elderly and frail. He's got two daughters and um, they're both beautiful, both wild, and one of them is being blackmailed. Sternwood has hired Philip Marlowe, the private investigator, and he's given him the task to expose the blackmailer. And I just love that name for a general, Sternwood. There's a description of him when he and Marlowe meet for the first time and Marlowe was brought through into what looks like a greenhouse by a butler and they opened the door and I read and reread this fantastic description of the meeting and if you bear with me I'll just find it and read it here for you. The path took us along to the side of the greenhouse and the butler opened a door for me and stood aside. It opened into a sort of vestibule that was about as warm as a slow oven He came in after me, shut the outer door, opened the inner door and went through that. Then it was really hot. The air was thick, wet, steamy and larded with the cloying smell of tropical orchids in bloom. The glass walls and roof were heavily misted and big drops of moisture splashed down in the plants. The light had an unreal greenish colour like light filtered through an aquarium tank. The plants filled the place, a forest of them with nasty, meaty leaves and stalks like the newly washed fingers of dead men. The scene is set. That's in the first couple of pages. There's kind of motifs in there as well. That's really, really, it's a strong image. Absolutely loved yeah. reading that. Um, and any power w- and money and, you know, not everybody's got an orchid greenhouse. Oh yes, and, and the heat that must have cost... The, the, the bills to keep the place warm and he, he loves the beauty of the orchid but there's a clawing smell and oh, I just I really loved it then I went on um, and Marlowe himself I quite like because he's a kind of he's just an ordinary guy doing his job and he knows he's to meet this general Sternwood so he dresses appropriately in a suit he's clean shaven he's sober he's um, and I actually think there's a little bit of little bit of Raymond Chandler in Philip Marlowe He's a good guy trying to do his job, but he's seen a lot of life and he will pull his punches when he has to. He has his own personal journey. I was wondering, why is this book in the adventure section? But actually, the adventure is the world of pornography, gambling and the seedy underbelly of Hollywood because it was all glitzy and nothing ever went wrong in Hollywood and everybody was beautiful all of the time. Marlowe has undertaken this kind of personal adventure this is what I got, and he's come across many a brick wall in the past, but he's found a way around it. But when he meets General Sternwood, he really wants to try and do the right thing for him, but he just cannot believe what he's got drawn into because there's this facade of respectability 
and the two daughters, who are obviously quite spoilt and have had an awful lot of money and a lot of gifts and costumes. You can just imagine them parading about in this great big house. But they really are looking for a good time, <laughs> is what I felt. Um, there's quite a lot of... Um, so it'll be set sort of like around the Great Gatsby type of time, locked whole partying type thing. It's after thing. that, I think. Is it after that? Um, 1939. Yeah. Oh, right, right. OK, sorry. Too. Yeah. Now, I said earlier that I really liked Sternwood himself. He offers Philip Marlowe on, at their first meeting. Marlowe looks at him and he's so obviously frail and he wonders, can I smoke in front of this guy? And Sternwood says, yes, yes, go ahead, smoke. And then Sternwood says to Marlowe, a nice state of affairs when a man has to indulge his vices by proxy. I just thought that was very funny. And then Sternwood goes on to describe himself. You're looking at a very dull survival of a rather gaudy life, a cripple paralysed in both legs and with only half his lower belly. There's very little I can eat and my sleep is so close to waking that it's hardly worth the name. I seem to exist largely on heat, like a newborn spider, and the orchids are an excuse for the heat. I liked Sternwood and I liked Marlowe. I didn't really have time for those two girls. I'm quite hard on females. I think it's coming out. We didn't really like Bridget Jones either. Um, they just seem a little bit like spoiled brats. But I can understand them looking for a bit of sparkle. On the downside, for me, um, there's quite a complex plot, which I find uh, tricky enough to follow. Um, but on, it's, it's not overloaded with too many characters or time span. So you kind of, it's short, smart, it's clever, it's fast-mouthed. I did love the very full visual descriptions and I did reread pages and passages to savour the language. The text I thought was all a bit rat tat tat, rat tat tat. His descriptions are do, 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 and this looked like this. And I did find I was kind of reading it like that. Um, he, he was like an oil executive. Yes, he that's right. He did a very, very good job. And he just, he got drawn into this world himself. And um, I think he just started to get more and more success. And eventually it was picked up. Mm -hmm. You know, I absolutely adore Raymond Chandler. The first of mine, I've, yeah, a great read and it shoots from the hip. Yeah. Michael, the last time we were here and you were picking your book, you said you had magic fingers. Did your fingers do their magic this time? I don't like to blow me on trumpet, but um, they did. Um, yes, I got Kevin Barry, City of Bohine. I love this book. Um, I'm glad I got a chance to read it because I did have kind of preconceptions about Kevin Barry because he'd won a few awards and there were other Irish kind of thriller writers mm -hmm. on my radar at the time. Um, I'd started reading Adrian McKinty, his Sean Duffy series, oh, I think, yes, yeah. and Stuart Neville. So I, I love all the, those thrillers and, and I was just reading thrillers almost exclusively at the time that Kevin Barry had published this book around um, 2011. But the book, I didn't get drawn into it immediately because one of the, the great things about this book, it's so creative and inventive. Mm. The language is a mishmash, mishmash of um, sort of past, present and future. It's set in the future, isn't it? It's set in the future. It's set in 2053 and set somewhere, doesn't say exactly where, mm -hmm. in the west coast of Ireland, a city in the west coast of Ireland. And it's quite bleak, and it felt 
that I was right there um, because it's so good I raced through this you know mm-hmm. I had this read in about a week and a half after we got it that's pretty good for as you well, said yourself a slow reader well it took me about half a week to decipher the language mm-hmm. because the language there's lots of dialogue it's dialogue heavy but the dialogue is one of the things that really drives the book that's so inventive it's this patois of kind of west coast vernacular Irish and easy to read you liked reading it anyway I did I loved it I, I did it's it's basically it's a gang warf- warfare book so the adventure bit I'm not sure how the adventure comes into it it's more like a almost like a traditional thriller and there's Chandler-esque brushes in the book mm-hmm. it's narrated by someone that's never really fully explained there's a little tan bit in the middle of the book of who the narrator might be there's a great kind of harking back to wanting to go back to the past and this there's a theatre owner uh, in the middle of the book he what's the name of the the theatre the Ancient and Historical Bohemian Film Society Um, and it's in one of the back streets in the city of Bohemian the the bit that describes the visitation of the main character's wife is pure Chandler-esque you know mm-hmm. walking into the office you know it's like the hot blonde walks mm-hmm. into Marlowe's office yeah, this kind yeah, of thing yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's set up like that it's only two pages but I think you, you know you can see influences throughout the book of other writers mm-hmm. and I think Chandler may have been one of them yeah so that was uh, one of the kind of unspoken characters throughout the book that seems to be the chorus throughout the book uh, the person that is kind of announcing people's inner thoughts and feelings of some of the characters but um, there's some the you know the the descriptions of what people are wearing mm-hmm. it seems to be very important throughout the book and it's quite for violent characters it's quite how, what word would I choose to fay almost <laughs> it's you know they, they wear very colourful clothes and they're very the men are very mm-hmm. sensitive Boy, about what they're, they're wearing and you know they try and do one-upmanship and everything and there's there's actual headings and chapters that stop and say he was wearing or she was wearing and it's it's very entertaining mm-hmm. you know about because it's quite outlandish well the characters are are, are central in the book the plot is almost secondary the the plot of the book basically is there's a gang warfare going on the main gang is run by logan hartnett who's been in control of the city for quite a while and the legal uh, rulers of the city the the burghers of the city they're called the authority mm-hmm. and they have a very minor role in it the whole running of the city and seems to be acknowledged by everyone that lives in the city is and it's a little bit dystopian that way is the they, they call them the fancy you know and everything about them is fancy the way they dress the way they speak and logan hartnett as i say he is the leader of the gang mm. so there are other kind of secondary gangs um around the city and he's been kind of the leader the head guy for so long that these people are beginning to snip at his heels mm. Uh, you know, and that causes a fantastic twist at the end of the book. I didn't see it coming. I was kind of blindsided by mm, it. Um, and the the leader, the, the leader, he had ousted another character in the book to become leader himself. Uh, it was called the, the the guy that was ousted and lives outside the city in the big nothing. All the descriptions of 
the, the area mm. is so um, you, you can actually picture it mm-hmm. the big nothing there's nothing outside mm. the city mm-hmm. and he describes some of the um, the policemen as calling them you know they, they come from traditionally outside the city the way the Garda you know they're, they're recruit from country guys to bring um, them into Dublin yeah. and he calls them spudators spud eaters you know <laughs> so I, you know all of that kind of language is very funny yeah and so anyway Gant has been living outside but he's, he's obsessed with Logan Hartnett because Logan Hartnett had stolen his girlfriend at the uh, time romance. and for 25 years he's been outside plotting mm-hmm. uh, to get the uh, Mua Immaculata um, is the name of the, the character that Logan Hartnett is with you know everything is on the, the cusp of change Immaculata sounds quite tense it is tense as a build-up. Uh, Immaculata wants to leave Logan, and she gets a letter. Uh, there's there's no phones. There's no technology. I'd mentioned dystopia. People write letters to each other. The only mode of transport is like a tram or a train, the L. And what I was leading to with that is um, there's not a lot of technology through this mm. book. There's no mobile phones. There's no getting onto Google and solving the crime. Who did this or who did what? And there's no guns in it either it's quite violent but there's people get reefed i can't help thinking you know there is a certain city down the uh, west coast of ireland and it was referred to for a long time reef city. as reef city you know and he 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 um he talks about people being reefed and uh, they carry their their dirks with them and it's like almost western kind of thing mm-hmm. you know they carry this in the belt instead of a gun mm-hmm. Anyway, the plot is one of the outlying gangs gets reefed. Mm-hmm. As I said, they, they get stabbed. So that is the, the setup for starting a gang war. But anyway, I, I love the book. Um, there's a couple of standout characters. Uh, John Salon, there's a few fantastic twists. You'd recommend um, it then? Good read. It is a fantastic read. And I know a few people that have stopped reading the book because of the language. Yes. I would say persevere with the language because... You know, it, you can it's understand it, it and it's worth it and it contributes to the humour in the book. Um, the book is very funny. There's a great twist in the end and it's, you know, it's noirish adventure. I'm not sure, but it's definitely a thriller worth reading. Great. Kirsty, you never seem to get what you want. Was this any different? I did and I didn't. Um, the book that I got was Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott. The story I loved the whole adventure uh, concept and, and all the different plot and it was all very uh, medieval and full of adventure. It had everything. It is set in the 12th century whenever Richard I or Richard de Lionheart is king in England. So it's all very chivalrous. There's jousting tournaments that you have, castle sieges, you have abductions. At which trials, contests of honour, you have family fighting mm-hmm. and reconciliation. It had everything within the plot. But like Michael said, what I find difficult was the language mm-hmm. to get started with. The book was actually written over 200 years ago, in 1819. The language it's written in reflects that time. Mm-hmm. So it was. it's very different to how we would converse and talk today. So it was difficult for me to sort of get my head around that. It's quite, the language is very flowery, very descriptive, as well as that within the book, there's a lot of annotation, you know, so there was all these wee numbers. So I kept wanting to go to the back to find out what the numbers what meant. meant. And that kept interrupting 
how, how I was getting into the story. So what I thought was right, well, maybe if I listen to it via an audiobook, I would just be focusing on the story mm-hmm. and listening to the story as opposed to trying to work out the language. And mm-hmm. so that is what I did. I read the book while listening to it. Very good, yeah. <laughs> Which I found very helpful. And I'm really glad, like you said, I persevered with it yeah. because I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. The other thing you need to be aware of is the historical context of the book. The things of it are sort of like cultural race and racial conflict. Mm-hmm. And then you also have loyalties. So as I said, the book's set in the 12th century, so Richard I is king. But what you have is, it all stems back, uh, the Normans had invaded England. So they had conquered the Saxons, which would have been the people that lived in England at the time. The story really explores the cultural and racial conflicts that are still existing. The Battle of Hastings, 1066, and then this is the 12th century. So these prejudices are still there. So you have the conflict of the Norman overlords ruling the Saxons and making light of their culture. And then the Saxons trying to try and win back their country. Then you have the conflict between Richard and his brother, Prince John, who's trying to keep steal his throne. Then you have all the different religions and the characters. There's a lot of intrigue around them because they're introduced in different guises. So there's the pilgrim, the disinherited knight, the black knight. You don't really know who everybody is. And then as the plot goes through, it is revealed. I'll be honest, if that, I just don't think I would um, enjoy that sort of book at all. Well, what do you what do you do think? Do you normally Michael? like <clears throat> historical fiction? Like, no. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> Philippa Gregory now is kind of yes. that's like a, a. Do you read historical fiction? Not really. Um, I just think I would. I just don't think. No, I enjoyed it in that. Um, did it make you feel? It was. I wouldn't say it was an easy read, but I, I did enjoy the subject. Like my favorite film is The Knight's Tale, and oh, right. it's all about setting the same medieval period. Sure, and it's yes, mm-hmm. and it's all um, yeah. costumes and the chivalry, and I like you know I like all that. Um, to me, I actually thought it had a quite. I thought it had you know made a happy ending. Yes, I yes. actually thought it had a very happy ending. But in reviews I've read, they thought that the ending was quite pessimistic. But I, you know, because the, the same problems were still existing. Mm-hmm. But um, it was also called, this book has also been called a historical romance. And there is a few, uh, you know, so there was a romance running, well, two sort of streams of one reciprocated, one not. So this book so, is responsible now for all those mills and millions of rivers, historical fiction. Well, it, it says that it was the first historical romance, you know, um, that was written. But when I got well, to there's a young lady it, on the cover. And yes, this the, is like, the Lady Rowena. So there was like... The Lady Rowena, she was beautiful, and then there was Rebecca, and Rebecca is sort of, even though she was a GS, she was like one of the very strong characters Mm -hmm. in it, who was good and noble and, Mm -hmm. you know, acted... Honourably. Yes, surrounded by Templar knights Mm -hmm. who were meant to, who represent that honour that maybe didn't act. Just yeah, quite so corruption so at lots of levels. Kind of levels. the time frame that um, Jane Austen was writing in, just a little bit after that. But I remember us talking about how it was class structure at the time, mm. and maybe he was kind of influenced by by that. I, I well, well done relating back to that two hundred years ago. You enjoyed it. Yeah. No. When as I said, would you recommend it? 
Mm. It's not going to be for everyone. You know, it's not. It's hard. If you like a historical romance, would yeah. you like that? Yes, I think the book does have everything. There is a lot going on in it. Um, some of the things I didn't see coming, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I did quite want to find out what happened. Yeah. And I wanted to get to the end. And, and I thought it was funny, like, um, you know, you, you sort of had villain characters and then you had the good guys mm. and then you had the people who were principals like Cedric who wanted things to happen. And it was just, it was just the interaction. I thought the characters were all really good and interacted mm-hmm. well I, I, I hopefully not the best but like the whole thing is Ivanhoe has loved the Lady Rowena who is the ward of his father uh, Cedric is of the belief that Rowena should marry Athelstane to promote the Saxon culture right. and well of life so he was prepared to get rid of his son to make the vision happen if you know what I mean mm. but in the end conquers, love, love, love conquers, love conquers all. all so that makes me happy. <laughs> happy ending. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kirsty and Michael. Um, now it's tin time. Yeah. <laughs> I love tin time. The theme for April is life, death and other worlds. And the ten titles are, and maybe Kirsty, if you read the, the first five. So we've got um, A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Astonishing the Gods by Ben Ockrey. Dune by Frank Herbert. Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Okay, I'll do the second five. So we've got The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Discworld series, The Colour of Magic by Terry Pratchett. Then we have the Earthsea trilogy, A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. The next one is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And we round it off with the Sandman series and Preludes and Nocturnes by Neil Gaiman. Well, the theme, as I said earlier, is life, death and other worlds. That's just your thing, Kirsty. Hopefully you will get something you really (laughs) like out of this. Well, I have read quite a few of these, so, um, but I don't really mind. It'd just be nice to... Anything you don't want to get? No, not really. I don't mind. Uh, as a, I don't mind if I get one that I have, but it might be nice to get one I haven't read. Okay. So we'll just see what the lucky ten. I say ten. that lucky ten. Please be lucky. <laughs> Gives me the time. Have you any thoughts on the list? Anything you want to avoid or you'd love to get? I'd like to avoid Dune um, mm. by Frank Herbert. I didn't really kind of float my boat. Um, I must be the only person on the planet that hasn't seen any Game of Thrones. So I have never seen any Game um, of Thrones. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in that. Um, I have read a lot of the Terry Pratchett and I find them very funny. I think uh, the fourth one, Mort, is about the funniest one I've, I've read. Yeah, science fiction. Um, I don't think I've read Ursula Le Guin. It's like probably my late Is it kind of your genre you're okay with? I'm okay with it. Um, I haven't really read it. I left it behind me in my my teens. Mm. Um, I I think I I picked up on it because I started reading Terry Pratchett and um, I used to get that comic 2000 AD. Ah. So Mm. Terry Pratchett actually, um, I went to see him. He was very, very funny. Uh, Tragedy's not with us anymore. Mm. Yeah, so there's a few there. We'll see what we get. 
Okay, right. What about you? you oh, I would be very happy with um, Frankenstein or The Road. I don't want Dune, don't want Chronicles of Narnia, don't want Discworld, don't want Earthsea Trilogy, <laughs> don't want the Sandman series. I am really out of my comfort zone with this lot. But let's see what happens. Okay. okay. First. Kirsty, you may pick first, but not say. I will not say. Okay, not just right. say yet. Michael? Magic fingers, Mike. Magic. <laughs> Mike's magic. Um, okay. And I have left it one. Mm. Right, we may open and read. Kirsty, you go first. Okay. I have got The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Oh, lovely. Okay. Michael, what have you got? My magic fingers have let me down a bit this time. <laughs> Um, I've got Neil Gaiman, um, Sandman series. Um, I've read some Neil Gaiman before, and mm, well. And I have a Game of Thrones, <laughs> <laughs> George R. R. Martin, and I'm just so not looking forward to this. I can just see your delighted thought. Anyway, this is just tragic. I actually think this might be alright. Cormac, it's very depressing. Really? Really? What? What? What's the what fact? Father and son. No. Oh. You not read it? No, I haven't read it. It's supposed to be a pretty good book, though. It is, yes. Um, I actually wish I had got that one, but... Okay, folks, so now you know what we got from the tin. You'll hear from us again in April. Remember to listen out for our next podcast, and if you like it, rate, review, and subscribe. That's it for now. We need to get reading. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.